0: Hey, Mr. Rios, MJ here, and your Oscar episode made me... The Daily Rios, from March... God, it's March already. March 1st, 2013. Feedback Friday.
1: in the air, if you don't care, oh yeah, throw your neighborhood in the air, if you don't care.
2: Oh. The story you are about to see is true, the names have been changed to protect the innocent.
0: That was MJ from the Nerd Goggles podcast at the top of this episode, commenting on my And the Oscar Goes To episode at the beginning of this week, where I was just goofing around and mixing some current pop culture happenings. On the flip side, we have a comment from Moses from Brooklyn on the website who wrote, I've been a listener since the CGS days. I do know about your dislike for Anne Hathaway, or at least her Les Mis performance, by listening to this podcast. I would have thought you would let her Oscar win go, but this seems childish. I am by no means an expert in theater, maybe that's why I still enjoyed the movie, including her performance, despite the harsh but fair criticism the movie got. I find myself disagreeing with most of your opinions lately, and this is the latest one, so I'll take this opportunity to stop listening. I wish you great success in your podcast career and life in general. Smiley face. Thanks, Moses. Uh, It always interests me to see what the breaking point is for a person, right? Where's the line that once crossed, there's no return? For Moses, it was me goofing on an actor who makes tons of bucks and gets to be a movie star and is on a whole other plane of how they live their life, right? Goofing on an actor, right? I guess that's his breaking point. Goofing on an actor. (laughs) False idols, my friend. False idols. Um, But hey, Ben Lyons called it the best episode ever, so I win.
2: Hey Peter, it's Bruce, and I was just listening to your feedback Friday wherein you mentioned that you had never seen any Thin Man movies, and I wanted to jump up and down and say, oh, oh, you've got to watch, but of course that's the wrong reaction because, you know, hey, people have, you know, uh, it's almost like a slap in the face when, I think sometimes when you do that, but that all said, uh, I I love the Thin Man movies, And, and the crazy part is, is, I mean, we're, we're dealing with a Dashiell Hammett character here. Dashiell Hammett's pretty well-known for his, you know, pretty involved plots. I mean, I guess he only wrote, like, five novels, but still. Um, pretty darn good books, and his characterization in the Thin Man novel is, is pretty good, although there's hints that the couple kind of dally on each other. But, nevertheless, uh, the movies, uh, William Powell, Myrna Loy, I... We'll tell you a little secret... Well, it's not a secret, actually. I love Myrna Loy. I have a crush on Myrna Loy. I know. She's long dead. She, you know... She's... You know... Compared to... I mean, I'm old, but she was considerably older, you know? Um, Still, every time I watch her, she's so... She's so witty and sarcastic and bright, and... I just love that kind of of character. Uh, Just... She's got such a nice smile, too, and that's... For me... Um, you know, it's funny when I talk to friends and they, hey, you know, what do you look for in a woman? I always say, hey, I, I look for a nice smile, you know, a genuine smile. That that goes a hell of a long way for me. Anyway, anyway, uh, Myrna Loy is also in later years. She's in Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House with Cary Grant, one of my, easily in my top 10 movies. I love that movie. I just, I cannot get enough of it. It just makes me laugh so hard. And... You know, Cary Grant is always good, uh, but Myrna Loy—I don't know. She she may him out on top on that one. That uh, she's just such a good actress. And um, uh, the Thin Man movies, the plots—eh, some of them are okay. The first one's certainly kind of kind of hokey, actually, uh, plot-wise. But the the interaction between William Powell and Myrna Loy is just—it's priceless. It's just—it's just good filmmaking, and it's something, you know, if you ever get a chance, you know, you're sitting home and, you know, Turner Classic Movies has them on and, well, let's say, I mean, that's considering whether or not you have Turner Classic Movies, um, you, you might definitely want to watch it just for a little while even to see, you know, these people and see what we're talking about, but I think you'd like them. Sorry to run on so long. I always blather when I'm when I'm talking about
0: somebody I got a crush on. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Apparently, I need to see me some Thin Man, because I even got a comment from Matt King, who said, I'd bump that original Thin Man film to the top of your Netflix queue. Trust me, he says. Is it weird that I don't have a Netflix? Maybe. Uh, So, that was all in response to not only Last Feedback Friday, as Bruce said, but to the Top 5 Movie Couples episode, where listener Trevor gave up the suggestion of Nick and Nora Charles from the Thin Man movies, which was on his list. So that brings us to the Top 5 Couples episode that I dropped on Valentine's Day. I had a few listener requests um, talking about asking about who those couples were in those clips that I, I put out there. Uh, I started with Maddie Hayes and David Addison for Moonlighting. Loved that show. Uh, a show that I could watch with my mom at the time, right? Um, Bruce Willis was awesome, rode up onto primetime TV on a horse with sunglasses, and he became a hit. So much that he made the jump to movies, despite a few detractors thinking there's no way a comedian can be an action star. And yet, he did. Look at him now. Um, something about that couple, Maddie Hayes, David Addison, Bruce Willis, and Sybil Shepard, the way they talked over each other, the way they rubbed each other the wrong way, the ridiculous cases they got on. I mean, of course, eventually, they brought the two together in a love triangle with Mark Harmon, of all people. Um, and some say the show took a dive after that, and they might—they may be right. But all to say, I liked the couple a lot, and I always look forward to watching some Moonlighting. The second couple... Man, come on. Mork and Mindy... Mindy was one of my earliest crushes alongside Linda Carter Wonder Woman, uh, Olivia Newton-John as Sandy in Grease. Mindy was so damn cute. That long brown hair, God, that smile, I loved her. And Robin Williams, coked up Robin Williams as Mork. Hilarious. Uh, I was even younger watching Mork and Mindy. Uh, watching more Mindy than I was at the age that I was watching Moonlighting, so I was probably about you know I don't know six seven eight when that show hit the airwaves and and continued on for a number of years. Um, I even had a T-shirt. You remember in the seventies eighties those T-shirts that had the are they like decals, right? Those iron-on, they look like iron ironed-on decals uh, of images of characters from different things like Star Wars or whatever. So I had one of those, I had a bunch of those, but I had one of Mork and Mindy. It was a yellow shirt, and I had Mork and Mindy on the, on the shirt. Um, there's a picture of me with my cousin and my uh, sister right below me, um, and I'm there wearing it and, and, you know, smiling with my big, goofy, curly hair. I love it. I loved Mork and Mindy. Still love it to this day. Then came Sam and Diane from Cheers. Man, talk about a couple completely taking over the original premise of the show. Uh, it was ratings gold for that show for the first five years. The writing, the acting between those two, the opposites attract concept. Uh, just some amazingly brilliant episodes. I remember seeing the episode when Diane left for good And it was probably for the good of the show, you know, it needed to happen. Uh, I was just so sad. I really was sad for for Sam, for Cheers, for Diane. I mean, obviously the show lived on and it got back to the premise of being about the bar and the patrons. And it kept on getting funnier and funnier. Uh, But I loved their relationship. I loved their ups and downs. I loved what the writers were able to do with it. Um, I loved their arguments. So funny. I mean, literally, tears to my eyes, funny. Um, and then Ross and Rachel, what can I say? Jennifer Aniston, she was my girl, right? I, I still can't watch the lobster episode without choking up. Uh, ask my pretty girl, I'm a sap, you know, I, I love that stuff. And then finally on that episode was Alex B. Keaton and Ellen Reed from Family Ties, another show where the original premise is stolen away by a character. Michael J. Fox stole that show away from the... Um, from his uh, TV parents. And when it came time to get him a girlfriend, his first girl, major girlfriend, Ellen, played by his soon-to-be real wife, Tracy Pollan, it was just a great mix. You know, I liked Courtney Cox when she came on in the later later ep- seasons and later episodes. Uh, and she came on as uh, Alex's last girlfriend before the show um, ended. But there was something about Ellen and the way those two uh, were opposites, but the way they matched as well. Uh, they were so different. It was just some good, good stuff, good TV back then. I thought it was a little weird that of the couples that I picked, they all exist from like decades ago, right? And I, I wondered, is there any couple that I could react that strongly to uh, from the past, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's a question for another day, though. So those were the couples that I gave a spotlight to in that episode. And Murray, Murray Fox, he wrote in and said, Now these couples I knew. It took me a couple of minutes to figure out who Alex and Ellen were, but once I clued into family ties, I was right there with you. Loved those two together, and I was so bummed when they broke up, but it kind of made things better knowing that they were a real-life couple. Interesting that so many of your couples came from sitcoms. I think people tend to think drama when they think romance, but there's something cool at work when you can get emotionally invested in a fluffy comedy. I would have chosen Remington Steele and Laura Holt instead of Maddie and David, but I totally get why those two would be on your list. And if I had to pick a coupling from Friends, it probably would have been Joey and Rachel or Monica and Chandler. Cheers is an interesting choice. I completely understand choosing Sam and Diane, but I found that the show got stronger once Diane left the series and, and allowed some of the other characters to come into their own. Sure, yeah, obviously. Uh, cool, cool list. I'm not. I never really watched a lot of Remington Steel, so I don't know that show too well. Um, you know, there was some, some great programming programming back in the 80s, and there was some fun stuff, stuff and some fun couples. So I'm sure other people might have a Top 5 TV Couples list that they might want to share. Speaking of Top 5, I also did this week Top 5 Podcasts I Wish Were Still Around, and I wanted to talk just a little bit about each of the selections, because I didn't in that episode. I sort of wanted to see if they could speak for themselves, no pun intended. Um, so the first one I chose was Neil Gorman's Comicology. By the way, Comicology was a great podcast title. Uh, I even emailed him years ago to when he had stopped podcasting to see if he was still using the name, because I thought it was such a great name for a podcast. Now with the digital platform Comixology, um i don't know i don't know if there would be some not not necessarily confusion but i don't know if i would want to get into those kind of waters uh with a with a podcast named Com- comicology but still it's a great title it also was a magazine i think tomorrow's put out maybe four issues of a a magazine called comicology anyway uh he in those early days of comics podcasting neil was our Adam Curry, right? He was our daily source code for comics podcasting. He brought a bunch of us together. He created what was called the Bat Feed. Uh, Before podcasts were on iTunes, he created a feed where we could all upload our episodes and listeners could get all of our shows in one giant feed, which was really cool. And he started the ball rolling for what would, would become the Comics Podcast Network. He had many thoughts on podcasting, on the tech at the time, and I even got a chance to meet him. Out at a Chicago convention, which was awesome. Uh, I liked his podcast because he talked about ideas. And he also talked about himself, sometimes sometimes very openly and honestly. And I liked that. Uh, then there was uh, the I Read Comics podcast by Lena Taylor, LT. One of the first, if not the first, female solo host on comics. Now, there was Mer Lafferty who was already talking geeky stuff since early December of 2004, but I believe LT was strictly comics. Uh, She led the way for shows like Birds of Geek with uh, Little Witch Amy and Denise, the Phantom Power Comics podcast with Jenny Moody, and so, so many more after her. You know, in terms of girls talking comics on podcasting and elsewhere, uh, many of the causes brought up today, the arguments, the praises, the... Things that they want from publishers or creators were already being discussed on Lena's show way back then, you know, way before DC Women Kicking Ass and way before Nerdy Bird or Laura Hudson. I mean, these, in many ways, they're treading old ground that I've already been listening to or discussing or hearing about. Um, And what Lena did, you know, she really had some great podcasting, some great craft. And I chose that clip where she's talking about Conan because I re- I really remember it to this day her knowledge of the material which is always so important to a podcaster and her firsthand experience with it that's what i enjoy about podcasting from a solo host you know too many shows are content with wikipedia like ramblings of info and And, you know, info dump regurgitation, but she had a first-hand knowledge of a lot of this stuff and wanted to share it with her listeners, which is why she podcasted. Um, It's that experience that kept bringing me back and what I really enjoy about uh, some solo podcasting. And then Indie Spinnerack, come on, what haven't I said about Charlito and Mr. Phil? Smart, funny knowledge about indies and mainstream comics, didn't talk down to their listeners in ways that I find other indie shows do, didn't crow about the guests they interviewed in the way that I think Ink Studs does. You know, they just did a show. They just put it out there, and I miss that show dearly. Um, and then Paul French, who we will hear from later on in this episode of the Poptopia podcast. Fifteen minutes, in and out, great format. Love the way he presented that material. Short bursts of information. Uh, on a lot of stuff that you know pertain to geek sensibilities in TV and movies and and comics and elsewhere. one of those shows you can listen to on the run, uh, just superbly crafted and you knew what, you know going in that you only had fifteen minutes and that was it and and sometimes he would go longer. I think uh, maybe not he'll correct me, I'm sure. Um, but I just really enjoyed the way he presented his podcast. Uh, and then finally, Super Future friends, two friends. Funny, funny stuff, talking about Legion. They knew how to make each other laugh. They were smart. They were creative. They were irreverent. They were comic geeks. They're actually at Emerald City Comic Con this weekend, and they do their own comics, and they have amazing sketches. So if you're listening and you're about ready to, well, I guess day one of Emerald City is already kicking off, but um, if you're able to stop by their um, booth, please do. Kristen and Adriana, great hosts just a lot of fun to listen to and uh, I I just like how loose and silly they were and just you know, just real. So I got a few comments obviously on that episode as well the top 5 podcasts uh, Jamie Dunst says I read comics was the first podcast I ever listened to I followed Lena to our other podcast look at Hi- look at his butt and yes I love look at his butt that's um LT and uh Jungle Kitty Lena and Jungle Kitty, uh, where they talk about William Shatner and a lot of Star Trek stuff, but mostly about William Shatner and his butt. Um, uh, sometimes they talk about sex toys. It's great. It's a great show. It's funny. Uh, I think that show is still going on, I think. it's. I'm way, way behind. In fact, I even went back to the beginning to start listening to it again and got about 50 episodes in, and I need to you know, do a massive catch-up on that episode, but great show. Uh, Jamie also says... Uh, I miss Comic Tube by Ziggo. I also loved The Golden Age of Comics by Bill Jourdain. That show was entertaining and quite educational. Absolutely, yeah, that was a great show. Got to meet Bill down at um, HeroesCon uh, down at um, down in Charlotte, and always really enjoyed all the information that Bill put out there about the Golden Age of Comics. All this stuff you can still find; it's still out there on the net. So, if any of this sounds interesting, you know, go check it out. Sandy says. Although I never listened to them, I can see from the clips why you liked these particular top five podcasts. I don't know if I have five, but I really enjoyed the original Round Comics lineup. Well, not sure if they were the original, but with Sal, Tom, and Chris. Similarly, CGS isn't half of what it used to be since you and Deemer left. Uh, that's about it for comic book podcasts. There was a podcast whose name I can't remember, Something Martini, where a skeptic would interview UFOologists or Ghost Hunters, that was entertaining until it fell off the face of the earth. Near the end, he started flipping out on his guests, just start unloading all this bile on them, which was, needless to say, fascinating in a train wreck kind of way. I hope he's better now. Uh, P.S. My CGS comment was intended to be a compliment to Peter and Deemer rather than a criticism to the current crew. Thanks, Andy. Um, Actually, it's interesting. The original Around Comics... Uh, lineup, um, I should say one of the earliest episodes, if not the earliest episode that they ever did, was was for CGS. They covered one of the Wizard World Chicago shows, and if you look in some of our earliest, I don't know, it's probably somewhere within the top 50 episodes or top 75 episodes of CGS, there's an episode where Chris Neesman sends in uh, a bunch of audio from uh, one of the Wizard World shows. And, you know, he used to credit that as the, uh, inspiration for Around Comics, and I don't know if, um, they still do, there might be a little bit of revisionist history going on there, but yeah, that, some of that crew, uh, got together because they met on the CGS Forum, uh, certainly, I think that's where they met Tom, uh, Tom Caters, and, um, you know, from there, Around Comics, uh, sprung up and, and went through a whole shit ton of changes, and brought in, brought in some hosts, and lost some hosts, and, uh, uh, I don't even know if it's still around anymore. Ha, <laughs> no pun intended. It's curious to see how many of those podcasts that started uh, late 2005 or in 2006, 2007, all kind of, not all, but many of them stemmed from either the CGS form or the C- CGS show itself. Uh, many people will say, you know, uh, I, I, I really do credit CGS for starting my podcast, and um, that's cool. That's just, that's great. Um, there's the Tomorrow's publication which is called the comics podcast companion i believe uh... you can get you can i don't know if you can still get print copies but you might be able to get some digital copies on uh, their website and um, in it they talk about eric houston talks a lot about the early days of comics podcasting and there's a lot of different comics podcasts that are spotlighted in the episode in that book and uh it's a great little bit of history about early comics podcasting. I, I actually have to go back and read it to see if uh it's been a long time since that came out. And I, I wanna see if um my recollections match up with what was said in 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 that book. You know, uh, uh yeah, it was an interesting Wild West kind of feel to it all. And uh, you know, a lot of podcasts stuck together, some didn't want to be part of the larger discussion of of, you know, that was going on behind the scenes. Um, and, uh, you know, not many of them survived to this day, but it was a, it was a cool couple of years there. Speaking of Paul French.
1: Hey, Peter, Paul French. Uh, just listening to your, uh, episode on podcasting and loved it. I've been, uh, getting caught up. I realized it was February 11th and it is now the 20 something or other 24th. And, um, I, I, I'm late in replying, but, uh, I've been getting caught up been a busy couple of weeks. So I'm getting caught up and I've been listening to a lot of Daily Rios and loving every bit of it. Uh, but this episode in particular hit home for me. A few of the things that you talked about, uh, one of the things you said about was the evolution of podcasting from audio blogs through to people's shows. Now let's remember, the Daily Source Code was a very highly produced um clearly the substance of something that had come from a guy who was an old school radio guy however it was very very bloggy in its in its um uh, in, in its execution And actually There's elements of the Daily Rios that, that really remind me of this And it's like when you have one of the ones Where you're in your car Like I am now um, or, uh, or or that kind of thing Because that's what I remember of those early days Of Adam Curry's uh, Daily Source Code And that's what, what first got me into podcasting And uh, another one of the things That you that you talked about Was that evolution to shows So a lot of them did, uh, did evolve to shows And I mean if you look at The um, iTunes uh, podcast directory, for example, just just as an easy example of a podcast directory that's out there. Um, a lot of mainstream stuff in there. A lot of former radio guys moved to podcasting, for example. A lot of sort of mainstream entertainment guys who have gotten into podcasting. You know, your Adam Carollas, your uh, uh, Kevin Smiths, uh, Jay Moore, etc., etc., cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, Kevin Pollock, another, another good one. And, and I'm not slamming those guys because I listen to all their shows and, and really quite enjoy them, but it's very different from what podcasting started out with. But like you say, there's no rules. And it's all, and you know, their podcasts are all about what's uniquely them. So you know, why not? And uh, and and it's really important that someone find their own voice and just be themselves doing their show. Uh, another thing that you mentioned, and and thank you by the way for the kind words about Legion of Substitute podcasters when you were talking about Skypecast um, and saying that we were one of the ones that do it well. One of the other things that you talked about in there is that whole idea of getting together on Skype before you hit record and just see how it goes and and when we started that show back in 2008 that's exactly what Darren and I did we actually had ourselves a couple of Skype dates you gotta watch out having a Skype date with Rainbow Cloak believe me but the reality is it was just a matter of we knew we could uh, we knew we'd had great conversations on the forum but how would it go with sort of a verbal back and forth? Because it's a very different thing than the written word. You have time to consider what you're saying uh, when, you're, when you're writing down stuff on a forum. But when you're back and forth talking about stuff, how's that going to go? And so we actually spent a, a good few hours uh, just, you know, just having a few conversations on Skype just to see how it goes. And uh, so I highly recommend that for any, everyone, anyone and everyone. You know, I met all three of my podcast hosts through uh, the forums. And, um, you know, and, and they are three guys that I would consider to be among my, co- my very closest friends. And uh, because that one of the highlights of my week is that few hours I get to spend just talking funny books with my buddies. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a really cool thing. So, you know, find that because it's something that will enrich your podcast and it may enrich your life too. This is my Casey Kasem moment. Anyway, I've been loving the show. I have more feedback to get to that's going to have to be just general feedback uh, because you've hit on a bunch of things that, that really hit home for me um, on some of the more recent episodes. And I apologize, I just haven't had the time to get, you, get, to get my feedback out to you. But feedback is the currency of the podcaster. And it's one of the things that you said about the solo podcasting That, that also hit home And you know, and, that, and, it's, and I attribute that quote uh, As you have several times To Derek Coward of, of the Deliberate Noise uh, Podcast Network And you know it's, it's, it's the real thing It's once you know that there's people listening You're talking to them You're not talking to a microphone At first it's a little difficult Because you feel like you're just talking to that microphone But you've got to know There's going to be someone out there who's listening to it and, and you're reaching them in some way. Now when you do hear from them, it's amazing. Because then you start to get to know them. And you start to get to know the things that they, that they react to. And, and, and it may lead to subtle shifts because you know who you're talking to. And there's, there's, a, there's a general bit. But there's also that bit that, uh, that, that says, I know so-and-so is going to really love this, this piece. So, anyway, uh, great episode on podcasting. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, we'll get back to you on more. Have yourself a great day.
0: Always did hearing from Paul French. Awesome. Boy, a Skype date with Rainbow Cloak. Wow. For those of you who (laughs) may or may not know. You're a brave man, Paul. Um, Great words. Yeah, just some good stuff. Listen to that. uh, I call it a voicemail. It's not a voicemail. It's an audio clip, but... Listen to that again. Rewind it. Don't listen to me. Go back and listen to what he had to say about Skype podcasting and and just podcasting in general about either a solo or group effort. You know, that's important stuff there. Get on the horn and just start talking. I used to think that was the best thing to do when you're even in the same studio together. Just start talking, right? Like, before you put the mic on, just kind of get relaxed and start talking and joking and and see what happens. And then hit record and, and, you know, you'll be a little bit looser in your discussion, right? Have a discussion. There was an episode uh, Ryan Senyo just put out in, in his podcast of the Senyo cast talking about the Uncanny X cast and some other stuff, and he, he said the same thing, you know, like... Uh, or he re- reiterated what I've been saying about have discussions. Don't just have... Oh, this is, this is what I like about what he said um, about my comment. He said, have discussions. Don't have just everybody who has their say one after the each other. Because then, otherwise, and this is what he pointed out. He said, "Otherwise, you might as well just—they might as well just all have solo podcasts, and you just listen to their solo podcast, right? If they're—if all they're doing is giving an opinion down the line, that's not really a discussion. That's why you want to listen to an ensemble podcast, is because you want to hear a discussion. So, I thought that was interesting that that uh, permeated in, to Ryan's podcast, and that he had a really great way of of looking at it—a different way, which which I really appreciated." Uh, So yes, Paul, uh, thanks, yeah, great comment, and uh, guess what? Speaking of Paul, we have
1: more Paul French. Hey Peter, another piece of late feedback from Paul French. Yes, I am the king of late feedback. Um, Just listening to your episode on the 12th talking about uh, Green Lantern, and Dan DiDio's plan to uh, have Green Lantern be the kind of the fourth pillar in the... uh, in the quadrology of the uh, DC Universe. And just to share a little anecdote from last week. My daughter found a ring at uh, preschool. It was a plastic butterfly ring that was green. And what did she say to me when I came to pick her up? She pointed the ring at me and said, look daddy, I'm a butterfly Green Lantern. I would say that one is a success. Now to be fair, she already has a Green Lantern connection because the day that she was born the DC animated movie First Flight came out, which was of course a Green Lantern movie and so I'm the proud owner of of a couple of the, they, they had a promotional Green Lantern ring, it was sort of one of those like little flashy light ones and so I have a couple of them that have her date of birth marked on them, because of course that was the release of the movie, and that made it all the more special to me. So, perhaps the fix was in, but the fact is, she's a three-year-old, and the memory of Green Lantern has stuck with her. You know, she's watched some of the animated series, and she just thinks Green Lantern's cool. So yeah, I'd say that one's a success.
0: Very cool, Paul. God, I seem to recall a time when uh, you did not have a Kid. So, God, it's been quite a long time that Paul and I have been talking back and forth uh, on and off. Yeah, Green Lantern, I saw a tweet the other day that said uh, something like, I wish the Green Lantern comics were as cool as the Green Lantern animation show, something like that, right? Uh, and I, I, you know, kind of had to stop and go, well, if it weren't for those Green Lantern comics, certainly the ones that, you know from a number of years ago, we never would have gotten the animation show. I mean, it was because of that. that that all happened. So, um, yeah, that's cool. That's great. I know, you know, when those rings initially came out during the Blackest Night event and they they, uh, brought out those rings that you had to get when you bought a certain comic and you could get the red ring and the blue ring and the, you know, purple ring and all that. um, There, you know, there was some pushback and people were like, oh, you know, DC, they're just trying to sell books, blah blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, Those rings went like hotcakes. They were all over the place. In fact, at one of the Super Shows, uh, the Lantern Cast podcast set up at Super Show, and they had a big jar where they said, I think you could take one ring uh, from the jar, and they stuffed it full of all different colors. My family went to Super Show. They walked past there. They were like, oh, man, those are cool. And, and, you know, they had no idea who... I mean, they might have known who Green Lantern was, but they certainly didn't know that all this Rainbow Lantern stuff was going on. And they, they, you know... By the end of a day or two at Super Show, that that jar was empty. In my long list of books that I want to reread, the whole Jeff Johns Green Lantern run, way back from Green Lantern Rebirth until till whenever he ends, you know, just a couple more issues. Uh, I really uh, that's on my list of of stuff to read straight through and just to see how it grows. And because I was a big fan, of, I I really liked Len Wayne and and Dave Gibbons on Green Lantern back in the '80s and. Um, I realized that I had collected a lot of Green Lantern stuff back then, and uh, uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of it initially. Um, I'm still not like a huge fan of Green Lantern, but I certainly appreciate everything that's been done with it, and uh, I look forward to digging back in. I wanted to play that because I felt that this show needed some comics comics talk. <laughs> uh, so speaking of, let's get one more last one, last feedback. This is an older one, but it's from Corey Strode, He, re- uh, Solitaire Rose. He also does the Solitaire Rose Radio solo podcast, and he's also part of Crazy Comics Podcast. Um, he's returning once again to talk about even more benchmarks in comics. Right. This is a topic that I've gotten away from, but he's keeping it going, and I appreciate that. Um, he says, It's been a while. Uh, I thought I would send in an, another nomination for a benchmark comic. I'll stick to the 30s. And although it would, it would be very easy for me to jump right into Batman or Superman, I'd like to say that Submariner is a benchmark comic. I honestly would not have thought this two years ago based on the reprints of the time. But since they have been able to upgrade reproduction of reprints, the beauty of Bill Everett's art on this series has come to the fore. His underwater scenes are filled with a sense of wonder, as well as a feeling that this is not what we know. The sea spaces are alien and filled with strange things. His use of form in the drawings further heightened the fact that Atlantis is an alien culture, one that is hostile to our own. However, this is not enough to be considered a benchmark, even though the art is better than I had previously thought. No, it is the ongoing story of the strip itself. In most comic books, the hero was the hero because he was a hero. Batman fought crime out of revenge. Superman fought crime because he was the embodiment of what his creators thought was good and socially right. But Submariner didn't fight crime. He fought us. He could be considered a villain, but in his own mind, he was defending his people and doing what was right he attacked the surface world in revenge for the wrongs perpetrated upon his people and had no moral qualms about doing so he wasn't presented as a villain or a hero by everett but simply as a hot-headed character who had the power to mete out destruction and he did timely atlas marvel's best-selling and most memorable comics of the golden age were the fights between the human torch and the submariner and for good reason the serialized nature of the submariner strip also very new and memorable, lent itself to the building up, building to the big stories, and when the two fought, it was massive, with one story showing the Submariner flooding New York, toppling the massive skysc- skyscrapers of the city, and killing hundreds of thousands of people. Take that, Comics Code! Slowly over time, the submariner became an ally of the of the United States in order to fight the Axis. But he never completely turned into a hero. He was the first and probably most influential morally complex character. I could argue that this showed publishers that they could do stories in which the protagonist was not a good guy and gave backdoor into the genre of crime comics that followed criminals as they fought against, fought against society. But that's a tenuous link and one that I am not completely willing to make. But. I will say that it led the way for the non-Simon and Kirby style of the timely Marvel heroes who may not be wholly good, have complex motivations, and are considered outcasts and outsiders. It was the first step at making characters more two-dimensional than one-dimensional, and led the company down the path that eventually led to their Silver Age, Heroes with Problems, as well as the idea that villains could become heroes and vice versa, which is still a huge storytelling device in superhero comics. It also brought in the idea that comics could be massive spectacle with things you couldn't see in any other medium, which became another of timely Marvel's hallmarks. Comments? Do people disagree? So that was Corey Strode. Uh, Yes, because, uh, as he says, you know, part of being a benchmark is is the influence, the sphere, the circle around it. What did it influence? What did it influence a decade later? Do people still talk about it? Do they, you know, look back and say, ah, yes, you know, yes, he's right. Those Submariner Human Torch uh, team-ups are considered to be some of the first in comics, and um, they were certainly important for that reason. So important is always a good word, and I can see that being used. And then the secondary part of it is influential, right? Where Where is the influence that he's talking about? So uh, that's good. So he's putting it out there. Let me know what you think. Maybe someone like Bruce Rosenberger might have something to say about this, because uh, he's more familiar with a lot of that older stuff than I am. Um, speaking of Bill Jordan, I should probably throw this comment to him. And, and email him and, and let him listen to that or send him Corey's email and, and see what he has to say because uh, I think that would be cool. All right. That is it for today's Feedback Friday. Really appreciate everybody uh, sending in their thoughts, and please continue to do so in whatever form is easiest for you. You can email me or send an audio comment to peter at the You can leave a comment on the f- uh I almost said forum, on the website itself under whatever episode you want to comment on. Sometimes they have to be moderated. Sometimes, after a while, I I think the website recognizes your email or your IP or something like that, and and it doesn't have to be moderated. Um, Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios, and you can also leave an iTunes review. That is it for today. Have a great weekend. Be safe, and I will see you next week.